ahead and open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter number 2. Jeremiah chapter number 2. And we're going to be looking primarily at the first 13 verses. We might go just a little bit farther. Jeremiah chapter number 2. As you're finding your place, just a little bit of background, and some of you will already know this as far as from Sunday school as we've been going through Jeremiah over the last few weeks. Uh, Jeremiah was uh, originally, he was a priest by birth, but he was a prophet by, call, by calling. Jeremiah was, was called by God to be a prophet uh, at a very early age. In fact, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, Jesus says, even before I formed in you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah was a little taken aback by this and how, am I, how can I speak? I'm just but a youth. And God says, I will give you the words to, uh, for you to say. Uh, so in chapter number two is the very first public record that we have of his first going out, his first message to the people of Israel. Uh, at this particular time that they were living in uh, rebellion against God yet again, uh, they had... Um, Jeremiah prophesied through uh, about 40 different years, through several different kings. He came on right at the end of King Josiah's reign, uh, and then Josiah was a, a godly king, uh, but then the following kings were, were very ungodly, so they were leading the people of Israel back into apostasy, back into idolatry, back into bondage. Uh, at this particular time, the Babylonian Empire w was very strong. They'd already took in one wave, uh, came in and took some of the chief people of Israel, taking them back to Babylon. That would come about a couple more times as well. Babylon was a very real threat, as we'll see. But what was God's, what was Jeremiah, through God giving him the message, what was Jeremiah's first public recorded message to these people? What did they need to hear the most? We'll look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, as you'll follow along. This is what God's Word has for us tonight. The Word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the firstfruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. So that's what the previous generation was like. He was recounting the time as far as in the wilderness as he brings them, God brings them to the promised land. But the problem was not just with prior generations, it was this, that particular generation as well. Verse 8, the priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. <coughs> 
For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send a Kadar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for, for being able to be here tonight. Just pray that you would give me the words, the exact words you would have me to say. Uh, may it be your words, Lord. Um, speak uh, to me, through me, that give us the word, your message tonight, Lord. Um, let us be listening to your voice through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Jeremiah chapter number 2, Jeremiah first comes in and says to the people, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah saying, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. A couple of things there. Notice first of all, God's word comes to Jeremiah and he says, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem this particular message. This is a message that these particular people are, are needing to hear at this particular time. And just application-wise, one of the things I was reminded of as I was looking at this particular passage is they were he was giving the message that God gave them, that God gave him to give them, and it was specifically for them. It was a message that they needed to hear. It was not like, for example, sometimes what we might be prone to do in talking about as far as the, the gospel message and getting along with our classes and cliques and stuff like that and talking about how bad the world is and talking amongst ourselves as fellow Christians and never actually proclaiming the gospel message to a world that absolutely needs to hear it. No, he's giving the message that they need to hear. And the message, again, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. And says, I remember, the Lord says, what your devotion was like at first. I remember the love that you had for me. It was the love as a bride for a bridegroom. How you would follow me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Um, again, as we think about as far as what Israel was like in the wilderness, of course, we, you have... Um, times where they would rebel against God, but usually outside of the golden calf incident, usually it was more of a lack of faith rather than outright apostasy, which was going on at this particular time. God was saying, I remember what it was like, your love as a bride, how you, you would follow me. And Israel was holy to the Lord. It was set apart for the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. And all who ate of it, all, all the, the nations around them who would who would would attack Israel, God would be protecting Israel from them, disaster would come upon them, declares the Lord. But something has happened that was different. Babylon was attacking at this particular time, and God was not rescuing Israel. Why? Because Israel had apostatized. Israel had rebelled against God. And so the people were wondering, what's going on? Not recognizing how much sin was in their life, how much rebellion was in their life, how much false worship was in their life, that they had rebelled against God and His covenant, and God was bringing forth exactly what He said in Deuteronomy. 
that if you do not follow me, these things will happen. And that's exactly what God was keeping his word. The people were not keeping their word. Verse 4, the message continues. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? So verse number 2 and 3, I remember what it was like, what your love was like back then. Was it something that I did wrong to cause you to leave me? And obviously the answer would be no. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness, worthless idols, and they became worthless themselves? What wrong did your fathers find in me? And the the rhetorical answer is, the answer to the rhetorical question is, is nothing. The problem, God is saying, is not with me, God. The problem is with you. You have rebelled against me. I have done nothing wrong to deserve you leaving me. But you have went far from me. You have went after worthlessness and become worthless yourselves. Notice he says in verse 6, they did not say, talking about the previous generation, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells? He's saying, you have forgotten the guidance that I have given you in those difficult times, in those wilderness times. When I led you out of Egypt into the wilderness all the way into the promised land, you have forgotten how I guided you with a a cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, and all the things that I did for you to protect you from your enemies. You have forgotten my guidance in difficult times, and now you're just giving up in despair and starting to follow after false gods. And sometimes we can be prone to do that as well, is whenever times get difficult. We forget what it was like when he has guided, guided us through those times. And it can lead us to despair. But not only did they forget his guidance in difficult times and forgotten that, but they also forgot his provision in plentiful times. Look, if you will, at verse number 7. How he brought them from the wilderness, and then I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. Not only did the people forget his guidance whenever things were very difficult, but then when things got very good, when they got to the promised land, they forgot his provision and how he had blessed them. So they were guilty in both respects. They were guilty during difficult times, forgetting his guidance, and would have an attitude of, God, have you forsaken us? And then they, whenever things were going well, they would forget his provision, and they would become self-sufficient in and of themselves. So one extreme as far as would lead to, to despair, another extreme would lead to pride and self-sufficiency, both being sin. What wrong did your fathers find in me? Nothing. The problem is with you. The problem is you have been ungrateful. You have forgotten what it was like when I guided you through those difficult times. You have forgotten what it was like when I blessed you so, so much. And because they were ungrateful, because they were unthankful, notice what happens. When they came in, they defiled the land and made my heritage an abomination. A lack of gratefulness, a lack of thankfulness leads to idolatry. 
But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. It wasn't just the previous generation. It was this generation as well. Notice in verse number 8, it was both the religious leaders as well as the political, political leaders who would rebel against God and lead the people into rebellion. Notice, first of all, the priest. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? And then those who handled the law did not know me. What a sad indictment of what Israel was like at this particular time. How that the people, the priests, the scribes who were responsible for, for, for reading the law, for studying the law, for, giving, for telling the people what God's word has to say, those who were handling the law did not actually know God. They were going through the religious motions, it was, but it was just more of a ritual. Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds themselves, and I would say the shepherds here is talking more about the political rulers, the kings. They would transgress against me as well. Not just the religious leaders, but the political leaders. Again, you, you kind of get an idea of what Israel was like. When both your political leaders and your spiritual leaders are far, far, far from God, there's not much hope for a nation. And that was what was going on with Israel at this particular time. The shepherds would transgress, would rebel against me, commit sin after sin after sin. And then the prophets themselves, those who were supposed to be prophesying, giving forth a message from God the Father, were actually giving forth messages by Baal. The prophets prophesied by Baal, and then they went after things that do not profit. And you see this uh, thing uh, several different times in this particular passage, how that it does not profit, it does not profit, it does not profit. Idolatry is something that does not profit whatsoever. The shepherds transgressed against me. The priest the prophets. And this was something that Jeremiah would have to face. Again, this is Jeremiah's first public recorded message that we have. So this is apparently the first time he would go to the people, give forth the message that God has to give. And remember what Jeremiah was. He was a priest by birth. He was a prophet by calling. So he was talking to people, his, his people, the prophets, the priest. And he was saying, I see what God has to say. I'm getting these, these, these messages from God, and, and you are not even coming close to following after God. In fact, many of you are actually going after false gods, the bells and asherahs, etc. So God's message was this in verse number 9. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. Just as I contended with your pri the previous generations, I'm still contending with you now. And with your children's children, I will contend. If you do not get right, I will still be chastising you. I will still be bringing you under discipline. I will allow the Babylonian Empire and some of these other nations to come against you. And they will actually succeed in coming against you. Why? Because you have forsaken me. He goes on in verse number 10. He says, for cross, if you cross to the coast of Cyprus and see or send to Kedar and examine with care. Basically saying, go as far north as you want, go as far as east as you want, go as far as south as you want, go as far as west as you want. Go all around the, the known world at this particular time and see what other nations are doing. Has there ever been such a thing as a nation changing its gods? Nations don't, he's saying nations don't even do that, even when they are worshiping false gods. They would just continue worshiping their own false gods. 
They, those who worship Baal will just continue to worship after Baal. They won't necessarily change after other false gods. When you think about as far as maybe even nations today, like as far as nations that are predominantly Islam, predominantly Hindu or whatever, they, they just they, they tend to, to worship those, those particular gods. They might add particular gods, but they usually won't just exchange one god for another. He's saying nations typically back then, they're, they're, even they're not doing that, but here you are who has the true God, and yet you're now going after false gods. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people, my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. If you will, go ahead and hold your place there and turn to Galatians chapter number 4 real quick. Galatians chapter number 4. As you see, the people of Israel were, were committing idolatry from the religious leaders to the, to the spiritual leaders to, that were leading the people themselves into idolatry. Galatians chapter 4 has something very interesting, I think, to say. Verses number 8 and 9. Because you might be thinking, well, well, what does this have to do with us today? Are we prone to commit idolatry today? Are we prone to leave God today? Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Paul writes to the, uh, to the church of Galatians. A, a group of believers who were, who were falling back into the law and not following after the Spirit. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, and I love this phrase here, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? And then verse number 10 and 11, 10 talks about as far as how they were, were kind of doing that. So the question I have for us today is this. Is this something that we are prone to today to start going after other idols and I would say absolutely why if you understand what an idol actually is an idol is not necessarily just a statue or anything like that that we might think of an idol as one pastor said is something is this he says an idol is something you go to to find comfort meaning and security an idol is something you go to to find comfort meaning and security especially when times get tough when times get difficult what do you run to when things get very difficult what do you run to whenever you're looking to find comfort what do you run to whenever you're looking to find meaning in life what do you look for whenever you're 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 looking for 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 security for safety what do you go to the answer to that question will be, that is your idol at that, this particular time. Every one of us, John Calvin, I think, once said, uh, the human heart is an idol factory. Just idols after idols after idols. <clears throat> Where we are, that's, that's what we are prone to do. We are created to worship someone, God himself. But when we do not worship him, we will worship something else. And that will be an idol. 
What is your idol particularly today? We're going to see as far as what their idols were like, and we're going to look as far as what some of our, our idols can be today. Look, if you will, at verse number 13. Jeremiah, given the message by God himself, says this, For my people have committed two evils. Evil number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. What do you think of as far as when we think of the phrase, the fountain of living waters? Maybe some of you are, are very familiar with, uh, with John chapter number 4, whenever Jesus would meet this woman at the, the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, the conversation goes in verse number 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Well, where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water, the water from the well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. A few chapters later, Jesus would talk uh, to the Pharisees. Uh, in verse number John seven thirty seven. Jesus would say that on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirits whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when Jeremiah is talking about here, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. What is he talking about? Talking about as far as a relationship with God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. The one who brings joy in our lives. The one who brings ultimate joy, ultimate satisfaction. Where our, our purpose in life can, can be found in Him and in Him alone. And yet people are so prone to find joy and satisfaction and purpose in life in everything else but than God Himself. And God is saying through the prophet of Jeremiah that the people of Israel have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, the one where whenever we get a taste, we will never thirst again. As Jesus was talking about as far as with the water at the well, as far as you drink of that water, you will thirst. For example, a lot of times whenever I, I preach, teach, right beforehand, I start drinking quite a bit of water. It's like my mouth dries up and everything, and I have to start drinking water and everything like that. And it satisfies for a little bit. But you know what? I get thirsty again. And so do all of us. Why? That's physical, temporary water. It's good water. It satisfies before time. But God himself satisfies everlasting. And it is the fountain of living waters. It is the best of waters. It is a fountain of living waters. Fresh water. 
But not only did the people of Israel forsake him, the fountain of living waters, they exchanged it for something else. It's one thing to just forsake God. But then they tried to fill that hole, that, that purpose in life, that joy, that satisfaction with something that was totally inferior. They were actually, spiritually speaking, hewing out, making themselves out, cisterns for themselves. And not just cisterns, but he's saying they're broken cisterns that can hold no water. It's foolish to do that. Notice the contrast. God himself, the fountain of living waters, the fresh running water that comes from a stream. Living water, fresh. And then water that you would find in a cistern. Stagnant water. One commentator would talk about as far as with a cistern, describing it as a pit hewn into the limestone back then, plastered to prevent seepage. But with the way that it was designed back then and everything, but it would not just collect water, but it would collect silt, dirt, mosquito larvae, stuff like that. Stagnant water. Things that, did not, the things that you would not want to drink from. Things that would not be refreshing. And yet that's what spiritually the people of Israel were doing at this particular time. They were forsaking the fountain of living water and going after things that would not bring satisfaction. It would bring maybe a little bit of joy, but very, very short-lived. Very, very temporary. Think, if you will, as far as when you get a drink of water. You might like to get a drink of water out of, uh, out of water bottle. Maybe that had been in the refrigerator for a while or a water fountain, things like that. But then drinking water that had just been sitting for a long period of time and you never know what type of bugs were in it and stuff like that. Is, ugh. And yet that's exactly the metaphor that God is saying that the people of Israel were doing. And by application... That's what many of us can be doing as well. Because the cisterns that were being hewn out for themselves, spiritually speaking, was not just something that they were doing. It's something that we are very prone to do as well. If you look in a couple places in this chapter, as far as a couple cisterns that they were using to find purpose in life, with things that... They were running to, to find comfort, to find meaning, to find security. First of all, you'll see a hint of it in verse number 8. What were the prophets doing? They were prophesying by Baal. What were the prophets doing? They were leading the people of Israel to worshiping Baal. And you'll, you'll see this time, time after time in certain parts of Israel's history. They were going after false gods, the Baals, the Asherahs, etc. At this particular time, Baal was a very popular god in, in their area. So they started becoming just like every other nation. And you might think this. Why is it that the people would go after a Canaanite god? Well, if you remember what Baal was, he was the Canaanite storm god. He was the god of fertility. The so-called. Of course, we know that these gods were not really gods, but that's what the people around them thought. And so the people of Israel would take that up and would forsake God for time after time and would start worshiping these gods, including this. Why would they be tempted to worship the Canaanite storm god, the god of fertility? Well, one reason would be this. 
Israel typically, except for certain parts of the year, would typically be a very dry climate. It was a very agrarian agriculture. They would need crops to grow to survive. What do you need whenever you grow crops? I'm not much of a farmer, but one of the things that we need is rain. We need water. Well, rain can be very scarce at times. Of course, in Israel's time, a lot of times, one of the reasons why rain was scarce was because they were not trusting God and it was God's judgment on them. Other times, they just needed to learn how to trust God. But what would they do? They would not start trusting God. They saw another idol that promised something to fulfill. Storm God, water. If you remember back in 1 Kings chapter 18, I believe it was, with Elijah. And I'm sorry, I'm mentioning Elijah for just a split second. With, with Elijah, with the battle of the gods. And, and how that the prophets of Baal would, would, bring, would, call, would bring, want to call forth rain from heaven, fire from heaven. God bring forth, it hasn't rained in such and such period of time. They prayed and prayed and prayed. Of course, we know that God did not bring forth that. Their God didn't. Of course, God did through the prayers of Elijah. But they were prone because they saw that there was a need that didn't seem to be met at that particular time when they wanted it to be met. So they would run to that particular idol, Baal. At times, we can be prone to do that as well. We see an area in our life where it might seem like God is not meeting a, at least a perceived need that we have in our lives. A lot of times it's more wants rather than needs. And so we're tempted to run to other idols. Not necessarily Baal, not necessarily Allah or, or any of the Hindu gods or anything like that, but to other things. Israel also was prone to, to go to another source as well whenever they were trying to find protection in life. Look, if you will, a few verses down. Go down to verse number 18. Jeremiah is continuing the theme of is, is, is the water theme as far as with the cisterns. And he says, And now what do you gain by going to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Still continuing on with this theme of the cisterns. He's not talking about physically them getting water from the Nile or going, giving water to, from the Euphrates. What is he talking about? Remember what the culture, what the climate, the geopolitical climate was like at this particular time. Babylon was the chief empire at this time. Other strong empires in the past had been empires such as Egypt and as, such as Assyria. Israel was being threatened by Babylon. So who would they run to to get help? Who should they have run to, to to get help? That would be God himself. But they did not do that. Who were they running to? They were starting to run after Egypt, starting to run after Assyria. Other, other enemies of God as well, maybe not as strong as what they had once been, but they were the enemies of God themselves. They were running to the wrong source. And again, that's what we can be prone to as well. Sometimes it has been said, the enemy of your enemy is your friend. But many times the enemy of your enemy is still your enemy. And that's what the Israel was needing to learn at this particular time. Not to go after these 
false cisterns, the cistern of a false religion such as Baal, a, f- a false cistern such as, uh, as false friends making political alliances with those who they should not be making political alliances with. What, are the, what is the cistern that you are prone to go to? What is the cistern that our church might be prone to go to? What is the cistern that our country might be prone to go to? What is the system that that those who do not know Jesus Christ, what are the systems that they go to? It can be many different things. For some, it might be money. We we live in a culture today that that goes after money quite hard. Money is not an evil thing in and of itself, but when it becomes your ultimate desire, it can become an idol. What are some others? Work. There's nothing wrong with work whatsoever. We were created to work. Work became more difficult at the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. But work was something they were to tend the garden before they fell. So work is not an evil thing whatsoever. But work, if we're not careful, can become an idol. Maybe things get difficult at home. Things get difficult in your marriage. And instead of trying to work out the relationship with your spouse... You go to work even more and spend more and more and more hours at work. Maybe that ha- is in, in part to do with money as far as you're trying to work so much to, to get more money, which is not necessarily a bad thing in of itself, but, you're, you're try- but it's not necessarily to where you're just trying to make a living, but it's become more of an idol in your life where it's become your chief aim in life is to get and get and get and get, get all the things that we possibly can. Other cisterns that we might be prone to go to. Hobbies. There's nothing wrong with having a hobby. Some, certain hobbies are, 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 are very good things. I have very few hobbies, but one, one particular hobby that I like, you might even would say love, I don't get to spend nearly as much time as I would like, but as far as with, with sports. Uh, is professional sports in particular football and you, many of you at least know this football, some other sports as well but hobbies can be a good thing but hobbies can become an idol I know this personally if I'm not careful football can become an idol in my life because I would spend too much time getting consumed especially when I was a lot younger where it was not just a mode of relaxation but it would become an idol. What are some other ones? Relationships, sex, the pursuit of happiness. All those things in and of their their own context are, are good. But they also, if we're not careful, can become idols. And so much of our issues today can be because we're starting to go after these quote-unquote false gods, these idols in our lives. We see Jeremiah talking about this time and time and time again. Again, idolatry is not necessarily something that the unsaved have to worry about. But if we're not careful, we can be guilty of idolatry ourselves and, follow, and, and not following after God with our whole heart for, for a period of time. In fact, we're going to see, look if you will, go down to verse number, go down to verse number 20. Well, I'll tell you what, go to, go to verse 19 first. Uh, 
We, are, we see the judgment whenever we go after these false, these, these, these broken cisterns. Your evil will chastise you. Your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. For long ago I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, but you said I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and under every, and under every green tree you bow down like a whore. Again, we, are, we will always serve something. Whether God... Mammon, any, any other thing other than God. Yet I, verse 21, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. What is he saying here? He's saying, Israel, you're still going through all the religious motions. You're still going through the sacrifices. You're still going through all the rituals. <coughs> but it's just lip service. Their ministry was a dead ritual rather than a living relationship. It was dead. They were just going through the motions. How is it like for you as far as when you're here tonight? Are you just going through the motions? Are you just being here at church Sunday morning and Sunday night because you're quote-unquote expected to be here? Your quote-unquote religious duties, whether it be church attendance, whether it be giving, whether it be maybe various ministries of the church, are you doing that just merely out of duty? Or is it, more, or is it a delight? Are you doing it to try to earn something from God? Are you doing it more as a, God, I'm doing this for you, therefore, can I get something out of it myself? Their ministry was a dead ritual rather than a living relationship. God is saying through the prophet Jeremiah, you're going through all these rituals, you're still as guilty as you possibly can be. And then verse 23, he says, they, he says this is what the, how the people are responding. How can you say, I am not unclean? I have not gone after the Baals. God's saying, how can you actually say that? Do you actually think that I don't know what is going on in your heart? Don't think for a moment that God doesn't know the condition of your heart right now. Don't think that you're fooling God by going through these religious services and yet your heart being far from him. You can fool people around you, but you cannot fool God himself. He says, I, I see exactly what you're doing. In fact, look at your way in the valley, know what you have done. He uses some very interesting imagery here. A restless young camel running here and there, a wild donkey used to the wilderness, in her heat, sniffing the wind. Who can restrain her lust? None who seek her need weary themselves. In her month they will find her. Keep your feet from going unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said, it is hopeless, for I have loved foreigners and after them I will go. I can't do anything about it. As a thief is shamed when caught, so the house of Israel shall be shamed. They, their kings, their officials, their priest, 
and their prophets who say to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone, you gave me birth. Think about that, the imagery that is used there. Saying to a tree, going outside and seeing to a tree, you are my father, you are the one who brought me into existence. Saying to a stone, you are the one who gave me birth. That's ridiculous. By the way, I will say that's a lot what's being taught in some of our schools today when it comes to evolution, but we won't go there right now. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. They have rebelled against God. They're not wanting to hear what God has to say. They have actually, instead of face to face, have turned their back to him. But in their time of trouble, they say, arise and save us. What were they doing? Times of trouble? God, please save us. But yet, they were still committing the very sins that got them in the condition they were in to begin with. They were not interested in repentance. All they were interested in was a comfortable life. And if that comfortable life would come by God, they would serve God a little bit from time to time or whatever. But if a comfortable life might come with starting to worship these other false gods, they were more than willing to do that. They were not really interested in serving the holy, the one and only God. They were only interested in serving him when it met their need. And that's not true worship. So God is saying through the prophet of Jeremiah, where if you're going to have that attitude, just go to your other gods. Where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you in your time of trouble. For as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah. So not only do we see them worshiping Baal, that they're worshiping all these other false gods as well, the Asherahs, etc. As well as the things that we've talked about a moment ago with idolatry. Whether it be money, work, hobbies, relationships, all these other things. That, leads to, that can lead to idolatry. That was exactly what was going on in Israel's history at that particular time. And if we're not careful, we can be guilty of the very same things. So the question I have for you tonight in closing is this. Who or what do you go to, especially when times might be difficult, when you're trying to find comfort, when you're trying to find meaning in life, when you're trying to find security, safety, when you're, when you're trying to find satisfaction, when you're trying to find joy, who or what do you run to? If the answer is anything else other than God first and foremost, that is an idol. And that is an idol that needs to be repented of. And I pray that we would do that tonight and not be like the people of Israel where they were just exchanging one idol for another after another. Because that's what, again, that's what we can start to do. Instead of repenting from our one idol and going, turning towards God, we just go to another idol and another idol and another idol and another idol and not truly worshiping the one and only God. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for Jeremiah tonight, Lord. We thank you for his obedience. Um, we're, we're thankful that uh, despite ministering in a climate where people would, even his, those who should have been his um, work associates, were not. They were not true friends. They were false friends. They were people who would, would not turn to repentance. He was having to call them to repentance. And Jeremiah went through an awful lot, but we're thankful for his steadfastness.